Are you there, God? It's me, the Pothamist. Another Mother's Day has come to pass. I woke up and I was feeling a little bit sad. Sad for myself, feeling sorry for myself, if I'm going to be honest, about a relationship I never had with my mom. And everybody's posting pictures today about how they're going out to lunch, dinner with their mom, and how they're incredibly grateful for them and how they provided them with so much. And it's an experience I was never really able to relate to. I feel, I, I felt for a long time like I got slighted and like there was something I was missing that everybody else had, which is a mother's love. And for a long time, that I didn't have the empathy because of it. I think you learn empathy and sympathy from your mother. And as I didn't really have much of a relationship with mine, I feel like I got left out in the cold on that front. And it was something I had to learn and build through other women. I see Mother's Day as a celebration to maternal figures in general. I have a wonderful, one of my wonderful sisters has be, become a mother, a great mother, despite the odds. I have my Aunt Janie, who's been fantastic to me. I had my grandmother, Graham, and she had passed away a couple of years ago. And she was always good to me. From the time that I was a little kid, she, every time there was like a new Lego set or a Game Boy or something like that, she would always buy it for me. And she just loved me without purpose, as only a woman can do. My grandmother, Graham, also raised my, uh, my uncle, Milty, who was, uh, he was mentally handicapped. And he, he uh, was really, he had the, the IQ of probably a six-year-old at most. And they had spent their whole lives together. When she was eight months pregnant with him, she, she got spinal meningitis which uh, her, I guess her internal body temperature got too hot and uh, there was complications in the womb with them. And my entire life, my Uncle Milty was around. And he loved movies. And Graham always would take me, my older sister, and Milty to the movies. And I think that's where it really started, my love for the movies. We would always go to the movies. I have such fond memories of those times. They were some of the only happy times in my, my childhood. And she had sacrificed so much uh, taking care of my uncle and loving me and my sister that... I, I you never really know those things as they're going on. I was not aware of them. Anytime we needed school supplies, clothes for school, 
whatever it was, she was there and she was there to take care of us. And I feel grateful for that. There was also periods of time due to my unstable childhood that she would disappear out of my life because she wouldn't know where we were living. We'd just up and disappear and go somewhere new. And somehow she would track us down, she would find her address, and there would always be a card in the mail with money in it for me and my, my older sister. So I'm remembering her today. I'm remembering my grandma Catherine, who was my mom's mom, and my mom's stepmom, actually. She loved animals. She loved, she had what would be considered today a hoarding problem with animals. She had, like, no joke, like 26 dogs. Uh, and she would find strays out on the street and she would take them in. My, my grandfather had built a separate shed just for this very reason. They had a bunch of cats, too. The cats lived in the house and the dogs lived out in the shed. Every single day, she would wake up before dawn to let the dogs out and take care of them, feed them, all of that. My, my grandmother, she, she would have not eaten. She would not eat in order to feed those dogs. She loved the dogs. She was also a very talented artist. Come to think of it, she was the first artist that was ever in my life. Uh, she was a painter, and she painted all these beautiful pictures i i have one fortunately it's of a like a snowy cabin in uh it looks like a place like maine not that all that unsimilar to where i grew up there's my uh my mima my dad's mom and she i didn't have a relationship with her until i moved to tennessee and right when I got here, pretty much, she uh, she had to go start living in a home, you know, like a, a retirement home. She couldn't she couldn't really take care of herself anymore, the way that she needed to with independence. And man, it must be tough getting old and sacrificing that freedom. She also had to give up her car which I got her car. She was like, I want to give you my car. The car's name was James. It was a 1988 black Toyota Camry with the coldest AC I've ever felt in my, in my life. I don't think there was anything up until that point. I, I don't think I had a car with working AC ever that, that I personally owned. My first couple of months in Nashville, six, seven months or so, I didn't have, I didn't have a ride, so I wasn't able to get around. It was tough. Uh, she had passed last year, and I was around, you know, for those last couple of weeks, and it was really hard. And it's funny because the, the grandparent that I ended up spending most of the time, my time with was Meemaw, and it was as an adult, which is pretty crazy to think about. Uh, every holiday, whether it was Christmas, Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, we would always, me and my, my dad and Aunt Janie would go over to her nursing home 
pre-COVID, we would go in there and sit with her for a few hours, and we'd watch something like Cash Cab, and uh, my Aunt Janie would be able to give the answers to every single question that they asked on that show. I don't think I've ever heard her get a question wrong. She's great at trivia. She, If I ever go on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, that show's still around, right? She will be my lifeline. Um, but it's just crazy, you know, having grandparents. They've already experienced a full life, and they have wisdom by the time you come into this world. They're fully formed adults. They're fully formed adults entering into their quote-unquote golden years. Uh, Mother's Day was a little bit weird this year just because I was used to going to see Meemaw um, at her retirement home, her nursing home. So holidays have been a little bit strange for me since she passed last year. Um, and I miss her. I miss Graham, who passed probably three or four years ago, and I miss uh, my grandma Catherine that probably passed ten plus years ago. Um, I guess what I've learned from the maternal figures in my life, my Aunt Janie, my my older sister, and my grandmas, um, as that love is sacrifice without expectation. Okay, and today we have Joey Canyon. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, nice to be with you, Taylor. Thanks for inviting me. So my first question for you, you're a very busy guy. Where did you get your work ethic from? I would definitely get it from my father. Uh, and I just remember being uh, growing up as a young boy, uh, oldest of six kids, and uh, coming from modest means. Uh, my dad, in the very early days, had to work two jobs just to just to keep a roof over our head, clothes on our backs, and food on the table. So I always respected his work ethic that uh, uh, from an early age, and and that carried on through life. So, was there anything in particular that still resonates with you today that he tried to instill in you? Uh, I just, uh, it was, a, it was a, a strong work ethic in doing it, doing it the best you can and to, uh, to fight and never give up in anything that we did. I, I think that's super important. Like my, my dad, he always instilled in me, do it right the first time so you don't have to go back and do it again. And the other thing he always said to me was, whenever things got hard like they do in life, it happens to everybody, he would say it builds character. 
and he would always try to find the silver lining in every single situation. And like I'm 30 now. So looking back on my life, there was a certain point, probably when I was in my mid to late twenties, where I, where I just said to myself one day, man, my dad, he is right about everything he's ever told me. <laughs> Isn't that funny how that works? You just, uh, you have to go through life. You got to make your own mistakes and then you figure out what you, what you shouldn't do and what you should do. Oh yeah, for sure. And it, for me, it, it really helped with the music thing. Um, like playing music uh, as I'm sure it did with you because you have to be a self-starter. There's no way around it. And you have to be your own best advocate. And you have to be your own salesperson. You, you, you do definitely. Uh, you have to promote yourself, believe in yourself, uh, and don't lie to yourself. Interesting you say that. Can you give like an example of, of what you mean? I can give you a good example. I think when, uh, when I decided uh, to, to get into the entertainment business, specifically country music, um, there comes a time uh, when, you, when you, you're going to make that decision when you talk to yourself or you should be talking to yourself and, and you should ask yourself, can you really do this? You know, do, do, can you really be a part of this business and, and, you know, not necessarily be a superstar, but can you be a part of it? Can you make a difference? Can you, can you write or sing songs that, that will be out there? And you have to you have to sit there and you have to talk to yourself and you have to ask yourself that question. Can you do it? Are you good enough? Are you good enough? But you can't just be good. You have to be much better than good to hit it in this business. So uh, don't lie to yourself. I mean, you've got to sit there and, and say, can't, you know, you're talking to two people. You're talking to yourself, but it's really that yourself is right in front of you. Can you do this? Or you're looking in the mirror. Can you do this? And 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 when you feel that you're not hesitating and yes, I can, well, then you're not lying to yourself and you should go after it 110%. Well, every artist, what makes them great is that to a certain degree, we're idealistic and romantic about life. And I think especially looking back on like the, the history of recorded music, which really isn't all that old. It's a fairly new invention. Um, any of your heroes, any of my heroes, they came up in a very different world than what exists right now in the music business. Uh, that's an understatement. You know, uh, I grew up in the, <laughs> I don't know what you would call it, the the old days of recording, the old days, of, you know, the two inch, the Ampex, the, you know, the, the whole different deal. And then that's just the recording part. Now look at the marketing part. <laughs> I mean, everybody can be a self promoter. Uh, everybody is out there uh, uh, on uh, digital media for the most part on the internet and, as well. And, and, uh, there's a two-edged sword there. Uh, it's great for people who uh, can get their music out there that, that never could do that unless they were signed to a label, okay? And that was hard enough. Uh, but there's also, I look at it and 
what is touted as a legend is, is beyond my understanding. <laughs> uh, everybody thinks they can be a star and, and the stuff that out, you have to filter through all of that to, to really find uh, the true uh, talented and gifted artists uh, within that whole scope of, of digital marketing. Well, it's like the democratization of music has been a blessing and a curse. Totally. Because there's a lot that has come, like for, for people like me, you know, I, I have the podcast, I'm able to do all this weird and interesting stuff just on my own. But with that being said, there's all this, and I don't even want to refer to it as wreckage. I mean, like, I think everybody today, they can have their own audience and somehow make a living off of their music. But not everybody has the same work ethic, but they might be good at TikTok. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's a real uh, dichotomy there. You know? <laughs> You, you hit a really good note there. I'm, I'm good at TikTok, but I'm not really good at this, you know. But, uh, but uh, I guess these days um, people are drawn to uh, a whole a whole plethora of of marketing availability. Yeah. Uh, well, I I go to Facebook, I go to TikTok, I go to Instagram. Uh, you know, there's just a lot of platforms out there for not only uh, music people, but um, various other genres of entertainment and, of course, business, too. Yeah, well, it's like you look at Netflix, for instance. Like, the transition from Blockbuster to Netflix. No one probably ever saw that coming, maybe except Netflix. Well, they certainly were. Uh, they had a vision and uh, I knew, you know, they knew what they wanted to do, but buying Blockbuster gave them their base, okay, gave them their, uh, we would call them viewers now out there, but gave them their, their customer base to yeah. begin the transition, right, from, from, a, from a brick and mortar uh, business to an online uh, streaming business. Well, it's just crazy because any movie or any book or any music you can imagine, the entire history of it is on our phones. Pretty amazing, isn't it? Pretty amazing. I, I am a, just a fan of art in general, movies, music, whatever it is. So to have the access to it, because I, I grew up right in that borderline generation where there was still a record store in my hometown and it hadn't died yet. But I also had iTunes at home on my computer. Yeah, you were. Yeah, it was still teetering, wasn't it? And then, uh, and then we know what has happened since then. Uh, yes. Uh, you know, I was talking to my producer about that last week. About, gosh, do you remember the old days? You know, the the analog, you know, recording analog, and and the sound we used to get, and 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 so on and so forth, and uh, and then look at it now. You know, uh, it's it's. I mean, you could literally record a song, uh, mix it, master it, and uh, the next day it could be out uh, inter uh, internationally, <laughs> out you know on on certain platforms. You could have it, uh, 
you could go there and it could be everywhere you know um, yeah yeah it's it's i think there's something to be said for doing analog still though like I, i'm a pretty big believer and figuring out how to marry the two aspects of digital and analog. Well, if I had my druthers, I would be, I would be doing analog. The problem now is after you record an analog, okay, you got to mix and you got to master digitally. Yeah. And you, and you lose, you lose a generation there. You lose something. Uh, so you're not pure analog anymore. Yeah. So, but uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe one day it may go back to pure analog because of, you know, the way things happen sometimes. Hey, I got a great idea. Let's do it, you know? Well, it's just like the resurgence of vinyl. I don't think anybody ever saw that coming. <laughs> no. Oh, gosh, you just hit a familiar note with me. I remember when I was a kid, uh, the very first album I bought was uh, Simon and Garfunkel Sounds of Silence uh, Sounds of Silence for $2.49 for an album. Yeah. I'm just uh, I just you just took me back there and it just cracks me up. So Well, yeah, you know, I think you look at someone and it's funny because the vinyl thing, it's more of a niche thing. It's for people who are going to be, who are diehard fans of music. You know, there's a, like someone, you know, for a goof, they might casually buy a vinyl and they're like, this looks cool or something like that. But really, I think it's for the diehard music fans, as I am one, because I like having something physically to hold in my hands and look at the album art and look at the liner notes like that. That's how I learned about players. And then I would take that information from reading the record, turn around, Google it, and find out as much as possible. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, but then you have to get educated in what vinyl is too. You know, you yeah. when you play, when you run the needle through it, okay, you generally have to leave that vinyl alone for a while before you play it again. Yes. Okay, because you'll lose some some of it. You know, you lose the sound a bit. You know, you. Uh, you just have to educate yourself on needles and 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 vinyl and uh, you know their sound system of of that of that era, which is I'm sure now they have such great systems now that that the vinyl would sound fantastic, you know. Absolutely. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is you lived in Colorado for a really long time. Yeah. I used to live in Louisville right outside of Boulder, sure, sure. and I worked at Wildwood Guitars. Were you ever familiar with Wildwood? I, I know the name. I remember the name. I never had gone to it. Um, I used to go to the Italian restaurant in Louisville. I can't remember the name. <laughs> that was, I think, right next door to Wildwood, right? I don't know. It, it, I, I it was in kind of a strip mall kind of a thing. Yes. Yeah. 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 I can't remember the Italian restaurant, but it was really good. But uh, yeah, that's very interesting. How long were you there? I was there for a year. So I was 20, just about to turn 21. I had moved out there because Steve Mesplay, the owner of Wildwood Guitars, is a good family friend. And Wildwood's kind of like a, a super high-end guitar store like they have a bunch of different custom uh shop stuff from fender 
from Gibson, all of that. And all the guys who work there that do sales, uh, they're each like an expert on something. Like, like there's a a guy, Lance, he was an expert. Like all the metal guys would go to Lance. (laughs) And then all the kind of the singer songwriter guys would go to Bruce. And then Troy was more of like the classic rock guy. So they had all kinds of clientele, like big people. And it was crazy working there at such a young age because I got to learn so much. And um, I hold the, the time I had in Colorado near and dear to my heart. You know, I, I was kind of more of like a, a shy, introverted kid back then. So I really didn't try and branch out much or go do much because I, uh-huh. I was a million miles away from home. I grew up in Maine originally. Uh-huh. So it was an entirely different environment than I was used to. But it is paradise on earth. It's the most beautiful place I've ever been. Well, I have to agree with you. Um, I, I've been here in uh, Hendersonville uh, for eight months now, but I've been recording here in Nashville for 29 years, so I'm not a stranger here. Yeah. But I always tell people, I go, Colorado has my heart, but Nashville has my musical soul. So yeah. uh, it's just, you know, I'm glad you had a good experience there because uh, it's, a great, it's a great place. Well, I think what's funny about Colorado is people, when you talk about it, they always think, of course, of like the mountains and weed, whatever. But Colorado is interesting because it is really a a mixing of cultures, of cowboys and hippies. Truly, there is a mix of cowboys and hippies there, like no one, nowhere else I've ever been. Yeah, it's uh, fun. Um, You know, you could go to Steamboat and be in that cowboy culture and things like that. And then you can go to Telluride or Breckenridge or Vail and be into the, a different culture. Um, it, it has a lot for, for everybody, you know, and it's, uh, it's a state that's completely split in half with the, the Rocky Mountains yep. uh, because east of the Rockies, of course, is Denver, but it's plains, it's flat. Yeah. And west of, 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 you know, on the western slope and the mountains is a whole different uh, topography, you know, so. Well, it feels like looking up at the mountains every day, it always felt to me like you were entering in, like, a, what our idea of soci- like society ends and, like, the natural world begins once you go into the mountains. That's a good point. That's a very good point because that's exactly you're, you're going into a new world when you get into the mountains people happen to live there but really nature owns that place yeah okay you are you're just you may live there but you're just a visitor because that <laughs> that wildlife and everything like that owns that area you know the mountains and so on have you ever heard of Niwat's curse before i know where Niwat is outside of boulder there but i don't know about the curse so the curse is, uh, there, I, I believe it was a Native American chief who said that, um, like, when settlers came, he said that the undoing of uh, basically, like, Colorado would be that it's so beautiful and more and more people want to move there and they're going to build more and more stuff. And then I've also heard another local legend that people refer to as an Iwat's curse is that once you move away from there, you want to move back. <laughs> so I always thought that was kind of interesting. Um, but I saw some videos online 
uh, of you kind of interviewing some of the, the Colorado Rockies. Are you a big baseball fan? Um, well, yeah, I'm an ex, I'm a former baseball pitcher. I, oh, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I was a big ball player. I started playing baseball and playing guitar at 11 years old. And so I did both growing up all the way till I, I was an all Southern California pitcher, um, four no hitters to my name. Wow. Uh, you know, all of that. I, I originally wanted to be a baseball professional baseball player. Well, I got to semi-pro, but uh, my rotator cuff, I injured it and I was done. So yeah. I went right into music. Another realistic career. Yeah. <laughs> and I moved to Colorado uh, and and began my my real career here. My my first time in a recording studio was in 1973. But I, I started my real career in, in probably, you could say, in 76. So, uh, and then here we are. So baseball was my first career. Uh, and I've sang in a lot of venues. I've sang the anthem at Coors Field for the Rockies three times. So Beautiful stadium. It's a great place to sing at, a cappella, of course, and then you know, you always get a standing ovation, right? Because <laughs> they're standing for the anthem. That's just kind of a joke there. But Well, you being a, uh, a former, like, athlete kind of makes sense because you were able to apply that discipline to music. You knew what it was like to work hard and to, and to try and achieve a goal. Uh, you make a very good point. And, and I always, I always used athletics uh, as as uh, really the center point of my attitude and my work ethic and so on. It's almost like when I would go out and uh, pitch a baseball game. And through a baseball game, you have ups and downs and uh, all oh, yeah. kinds of different things going on in a baseball game. And you have to have that intestinal fortitude, positive attitude to get after it. Well, when you get into the music business, it, it's it's a different kind, but you still have the same situations, okay? And hey, uh, sometimes even more in, in the music business because of, of the variables in, in, in what you have to deal with. In baseball, you deal with everything on the field, right? Yeah. Okay, in the music business, yeah, you're on stage, uh, but there's so many other working parts going on that you have to have a hold of too, you know. So well, you're also the front office when you're a musician. You're the general manager. You're the manager. You're the bench coach. The hitting coach. You're everything. Yeah, and you're the janitor. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, very true. Yeah, I think uh, in general, baseball is a great metaphor for life because if you uh, if you're a 300 hitter, okay. So what does that mean? You get a hit three out of every 10 times you go up your hall of fame level. Yeah. That's a failure in any other sport. Yeah. Okay. Three out of 10 is like a failure anywhere else. Yeah. But I, I think it can directly translate to music. Sure. You know what I mean? Because you have to take your wins where you can, and you have to take those small victories where you can, because they add up. Well, you do, you do. And, and really that's important. 
Taylor, but what's even more important is how you field the bad times. Okay. Yes. That's it's easy to live on the mountaintop. Okay. But it's how you handle your handle the valley. That's where you grow. Okay. That's where you grow. When you when you figure out in life when you get older uh, that all of these difficulties you had in life in in whatever family girlfriend marriage business whatever all of those difficulties when you finally figure out that that was your that was your schooling to prepare you for what you are doing now that is your education and when you figure that out then you go oh so that's why that happened what did i learn from that you know and when you do that then you grow as a person and you be able to handle things a whole lot better because even <laughs> even at this age I, I learn every day and 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 the tough times the tough times only tell me that i'm doing something right okay because if you don't do them nothing happens you know yeah, no, for sure. I, I The other thing I think of, too, to kind of like invert that, but it's along the same lines. I think when it comes, like everybody can handle the idea of being successful. You know what I mean? The idea of being successful. But you really have to know how to handle it gracefully through those bad times. When you're striking out every at bat. Well, that's when you find out what you're made of, okay? Because, you know, music is life just like anything else. And life gives you ups and downs, just like the music business or the, or the production business and so on, which I'm in, you know, I'm in music, I'm in production. I, uh, I have a network now. I have a television show that's going to be back again on the air. So... All of those give me lessons of, of, of what to do and what not to do, you know, and, uh, and, to, and just to, to, to go through them. And, and really, uh, one big important thing is to, is, to, is to learn how to wait, to be patient. Yes. Uh, question in regards to that. Sure. How did you acquire patience? When I learned this adage that I'm about to tell you, uh, I then learned patience. Well, not only what I'm going to tell you, but also in my Bible that I read every morning. Okay, we learn about that. But this one adage really hit home for me. Uh, it's almost like... <clears throat> You've been told something a hundred times, but when you hear it from some some other person that really really touches you when they say it, <clears throat> you go, "Oh, okay, I get it." <clears throat> but I always I I learned patience from this. <clears throat> patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. Okay, I'm trying to break that down. Let me do it again. Okay. Patience is the weapon that forces deception to reveal itself. So the longer you wait, the more 
something or someone is deceiving you will reveal itself. Okay. Yes. That okay. makes sense. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> in the end, really everything does come to the surface. Yes. But, but when you're not patient and you make a decision prior to that revealing, you, you usually end up making the wrong decision. Or, or you're making the wrong decision with the person that you shouldn't be dealing with. You see? Yes, absolutely. So, so when somebody, any, anytime anybody tells you, well, Taylor, uh, here's a super duper deal here, but we got to have an answer now. Well, my first answer is no. See you later. <laughs> because where were you the day before? Okay, do you mean that uh, if I talked to you yesterday, I had a whole day to make a decision, but now I got to make a decision now. No, uh, -uh. you just walk from those things. Well, that comes, I think from just, again, like a lot of what we're talking about comes from learned life experience. Um, what was the inspiration behind starting Canyon star TV? I, uh, I have, uh, the Joey Cannon show was yep. uh, was on a network, uh, former network here in Nashville. Uh, that was it was very successful for a brand new show and uh, was going very well. Uh, I wanted to go from a half hour show to an hour show, and so the network said, "Sure, sure you can," but we're going to charge you this exorbitant airtime fee. And I thought, you know what? I've got a great show, and 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 I think you know what? I'm just gonna. St I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna start my own network, and I can control things and be and make things happen. I can fill a void which I saw is 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 missing in in television, and that is a wholesome family network uh, programming. Uh, where people can be in front of the television, have their whole family there in front of Canyon Star TV and not be afraid of some sexual thing or some violence or, or inappropriate language or, or, or anything like that. So I said, you know, I have a responsibility. I'm going to take the responsibility to create, create a network that people will, will, that, family-oriented and, and just want to watch. So we're going to have, uh, we're very close to launching. Uh, I don't have an exact date, but I would say within 45 days. Uh, but we're, we're going to have such great original programming. And uh, <clears throat> fortunate enough, I'll get to start my show back again and have all the wonderful stars that want to be on my show and that I really would love to have on my show. Uh, and, and a lot of other programming, uh, animal situations, uh, uh, and, and, and uh, entrepreneurial types of things. We have a faith channel with some great, great hosts that, and TV shows we're going to be put forth there. We have nostalgia television of all of the all of the old programming. We have great classic movies and new movies. Uh, we'll have uh, enough 
programming and interesting programming where people will want to come and make Canyon Star TV their home. So they can always go there and, and see uh, great programming for their family. So, uh, Did you ever watch the, uh, I can't remember what the name of the channel was, but back in the day, there was like a, uh, a TV channel. This was like pre-CMT and all of that. That was like a Nashville-based channel, and they would have like performances at the Grand Ole Opry, and they would have like TV shows that were filmed over at um, the Opryland Amusement Park. Did you ever hear about that? Uh, are you talking about TNN? Yeah, TNN. That's it. I couldn't remember what the name was. Yes, TNN. Um, uh, shortly thereafter was GAC. Okay. Great American Country. Um, I was talking with. Um, I don't know if it was Devin O'Day um, or Marcia Campbell. And they said, you know, this is going to be like the rebirth of TNN, you know. Well, that's what it was making me think of hearing you talk about. That's it. exactly what uh, we're going to be that and much more. We're going to have a, a broader scope. Uh, we're not just going to be country music, but we're going to have lots of that. But we're going to be a full... Uh, full service television uh, uh, network for the whole family, that kind of a thing. And I'm real excited to bring it, bring it forth. And I'm very excited to be headquartered here in Nashville to do it. Well, what I love just hearing you talk about how you had your TV show, it was on a channel, they offered you a deal you weren't really comfortable with your counter to life in that was, okay, I'm going to start my own TV network. <laughs> well, you know, I have to tell you, and I'm not patting myself on the back, but I don't know very many people that, that have, that had a successful television show that would pull it off the air yeah. and spend years to develop a, something else. Uh, but I felt so strongly in this network and the people that I have around me that have helped this to be successful even before we're, we're launched, I felt strongly enough and committed and confident enough that, that it would work. And, it's, and it is. It's going to work. So, I guess that's where the patience comes in, right? Patience. Patience. Yeah. So your new single is out now on Country yeah. Radio. Yeah. Did you record that here in Nashville? I did. I did. I, I recorded it at Hilltop, uh, along with two other songs, and then uh, we did we tracked there, and then we uh, did the the uh, vocals at uh, Tom Harding's place, at his studio. Uh, On Country Radio was written by my producer Curtis Stone and another friend of ours, Richard Howes, and really the song is uh, it's. <laughs> It's, it's the controversial, somewhat controversial situation of, of uh, traditional country and non-traditional, non yeah, Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the age-old battle now in Nashville, it seems. It um, is. So, I, I, you know, I just did. And I loved the song from the very beginning, and I knew I could, uh, I knew I could bust it out in a good way. Where can people find the song? Where can people find you at? It's, uh, the song is everywhere. Um, iTunes, Apple, YouTube, uh, uh, Spotify, all of those 
and more. There's probably 20, 25 different platforms you can hear the song. Uh, and then you can uh, find me at joeycanyon.com. Okay, that's my website. But you can also go to watch.canyonstar.tv to see the preview of the network. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. It was a pleasure to speak to you. Great to be with you, Taylor. Thanks for having me on.